I tell you what, it is a joy to be in God's house this morning. I'm so thankful. It is a honor and a privilege to stand here this morning. And to be honest, it's not because I'm in front of you, but it's because I'm preaching the word of God, that I'm blessed, that I'm able to speak of joyful noise into the world because my Redeemer came to save me. So I know that with, with Christmas being uh, upon us and, and you all expected a, a cushy Christmas message, but to be honest, that's what the Lord led me this morning. And to be honest, with all these songs that we're singing about joy to the world, and it should be proclaimed, and to be honest, when we sing these songs of joy be upon the world because our Redeemer has come, it seems like a lot of times that it seems so quiet. It just seems it comes passing through our lips. But we are truly not giving joy the joy that God deserves, the praise that he truly does deserve this morning. But I encourage you this morning to set aside all the things that crowd your mind. Set aside all the things that you will do today, the things you will do tomorrow, this season. But let's focus our hearts on God. This morning. So before we go into the word, let's bow our heads in prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, I'm so grateful and I'm so thankful for the opportunity, Lord, to preach your name, Father. Lord, I pray over everything, Lord, that we, we do. Let it be our hands and our feet, our mouths, the things that we say and the things that we do. Let it be an uplift to your name, not to mine, but to you, God. Lord, I pour myself out to you this morning, God. I pray, Lord, that you would just use me as a vessel. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would just open up our ears, our minds, and our hearts to your word, that we may be receptive to it, that we take a challenge, Lord, that you have given us and apply it to our lives. Lord, I'm so thankful for your grace. I'm so thankful for your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So a few years ago, in 2019, if some of y'all knew that we, uh, uh, me and a couple other pastor friends of mine, I think Ronnie Lee and Seth and my dad and a couple other, we went to uh, Israel for a trip and we decided uh, the smart thing to do would uh, to hike from uh, uh, Nazareth all the way up to Capernaum for uh, a couple of days and spend a uh, uh, fellowship one with another and, and to travel and it was just an exciting time and the first day that we uh, decided to hike was we hiked from from Nazareth to Cana. And every single one of us, we are geared up, ready to go. Some of us have more stuff on our packs than what we probably should have. We were going on this trek, this trek and going down the trail and excited to see the, the things that Jesus saw, excited to walk the path that maybe Jesus walked. And I tell you what, it's a lot harder than what anyone would probably think. And we were walking and we were talking and out, as we got outside of the city and we were walking into the, the, the fields and all this stuff. And then we started to relax a little bit. We started talking amongst ourselves and talking about God and talking about Christ and the things that he's done for us. And, and talking about each other, pit, poking and prodding at Seth a little bit. And we were doing these things and we were looking at the beauty of creation. And then lo and behold, we ended up in a place that we did not mean to be at. We ended up in a city that we had no business being in. We ended up at a location that was not on our designation. And instead of being smart and looking at the map and going back to the trail trying to find where we went wrong, we decided to push forward and got more lost than what we intended to be. 
Now, Paul, he tells us in Scripture that there are, that we are, we are traveling a race, that we are on a run, that we are, we are going to constantly encounter things in our path, that there are mountains, there are hills and are valleys in our life. And he tells us things in Scripture. But as we go upon this way, there will be things that will distract us from the path that we should be going. Distractions that then become, we become disoriented and it makes us lose our way. Distractions that aren't necessarily bad, the, the things that we talk with our brethren, we enjoy nature, and we get distracted upon the way. Sometimes in our life that we get distracted by jobs. God has called us to do something. Sometimes our jobs get it in the way, and we get more focused on our job and our financial needs than we are focused on the one who actually gave us the job, who actually gives us the financial stability. We focus on these things. Sometimes we even get distracted by social media. Who's guilty? I am. We get distracted by the things of the things that that we see that goes on in this world, and we forget about the one who actually has everything under control. We get distracted by our families. Sometimes our families can become an idol over God. We can become distracted by giving more love to our spouse, more love to our, for our children than we give love to God. It becomes a distraction. We become disoriented by what God has called us to do. And let me step on some toes this morning, but sometimes we can get distracted by church. We can get distracted by duties of the church. We can get disoriented because we become so focused and, and so minded around our things that we do by our, by our duties, by becoming a deacon or being a song leader or a bass player or whatever it may be. We're more focused on that than the one that we are actually worshiping and doing the work for. Now these are not bad and evil things, let me mind you. But too much of a good thing can lead to a bad thing. That we come losing our way and distracted by these things. Then the sad reality is that grief and guilt can become only a surface level irritant in our shoe. A blister on our foot and we never listen to God. He's telling us to repent. He's telling us to turn back. He's telling us to go back to where you've messed up. Go back to the trail marker. Get back on the path that I have set you upon. But God's goodness and God's grace extends to each and every one of us. His hand is extending out to you this morning. And he's saying to turn back to me. And he's calling us to repent. Now this message this morning is not, like I said, it's not a cushy uh, Christmas message. But this is something that every single one of us need to hear. Is that that there is a true call to repentance upon every single one of us. Now, repentance, it's not a popular topic. But the thing is, though, it's never been a popular topic. You look at the garden with Adam and Eve. When they sinned against God, they hid from God. And when God called them out of the brush, what did they begin to do? They began to blame each other, began to blame their spouse, began to blame Satan instead of taking that blame upon themselves. You look at Israel. The time and time again, God showed them and delivered them out of captivity, delivered them out of sin. But time and time again, it seemed like what did they end up doing? Turning away from God. God is calling us out of the brush this morning. God is calling us to turn back to him. And as you turn to Psalm chapter 51, here in Psalm chapter 51, I think that God uses David to show us what it means To have real, true, authentic repentance. 
Real repentance is what God is calling us to do. So in Psalm chapter 51, starting in verse 1, we see that David, even a man after God's own heart, and we see that in Scripture, and what that means when David is a man after God's own heart, that he is pursuing God, that he, is, he, he has his mind set on the thing, things of God, and he, he is faithful to God in his promises. But even he, too, a man after God's own heart, allowed sin to take him, and he becomes lost and disoriented on his way. He allows the weight of his iniquity to bear him down, and he loses sight of the goal that God has set him on. Here, David, he pours out his heart to God on his sin against Bathsheba, and I believe that his grievance can show us a heart of true repentance. So I'm going to give you some things this morning of how can we have real, not fake, but real repentance. Starting in verse 1, I'm going to read 1 through 5. It says, have mercy upon me. Now when you read this, I want you to read this and just see the turmoil in David's heart. He says, have mercy upon me, O God. According to thy loving kindness, according unto thy multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Here the first step. The very first step, if you want real repentance, is that you have to acknowledge, you have to start, that you, are, you need to be aware that you are completely helpless, that you are filled with sin. Here, David, as I said before, this, this, this psalm is a result of David's sin and David's anguish. After Nathan approached him and said that you have sinned against God, you have sinned against man because you have lusted, that you have abused your power against Bathsheba, you've murdered, you've lied with concealment with this murder. You have wronged, David. But God saw every bit of David's sin. God saw every bit of the things that David did, and just like in the Garden of, uh, of Eden, that they could not hide from, from, the, from their sin, David could not hide. So let me say this, you cannot hide from your sin. You cannot hide in the brush from God. You may try to blame each other. You may try to blame someone else for the follies upon your life. You may try to blame anyone else. Oh, they've caused me to sin because they've done this. Oh, they've caused me to do this because they said that. No, you need to take the blame for your own actions. The failures and the sins that you've committed are your own. God sees that. It's your burden to bear. God, through his word, reveals this truth, though. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18, it says, Being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in in them, because of the hardness of their heart. God's word, from Genesis to Revelation, it reveals to us that we are shaped in iniquity, that we are sinful creatures. I know that sounds like bad news, but is that not good news? Because you need to realize if you need a healing, if you need redemption, you need to first recognize that you need a healer. 
this is good news that the first step to have real repentance, a real relationship with God, begins with my sinful nature. To be healed, we must recognize that we need a healing. And to have repentance, we must acknowledge our total depravity. To see God's true mercy, we need to see our true helplessness. That's the first step to real repentance. But the grace of God doesn't leave us there. That's the amazing part about God. That's the amazing part about Christ. Is that He doesn't leave us there in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the tearing pits of our sin. That he reaches out. And this is one reason why, why I think Christmas, we miss the point a lot of times. The real reason for Christmas is that he's reaching out and grabbing me out and saying that I love you enough to reach down and send my own son to take the iniquity that you deserve. That's grace. That's the joy that we should be speaking of this morning. Is that not just amazing? The second step, the second thing, to have real repentance, and I think this is probably the climax of the whole storyline of Scripture, is to have real repentance. It only happens when Jesus, Jesus is your resolve. We read verses 6 through 9 of Psalm chapter 51. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop. And I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. You don't have to look far before you see a gospel shadow in Psalm chapter 51. You don't have to look very far that you begin to see something amazing spring up in this Desperate cry of help. If you look in verse 7, it says, purge me with hyssop. And we may quickly pass by this when we read it. We, we quickly glance over it. Oh, it's just hyssop. What does this mean? It's, a, it's just a branch. But this is a gospel connotation. And be, watch this. I'm going to show this to you this morning or you'll miss it. But in Exodus chapter 12, verse 22, a hyssop branch was used to spread the blood of the lamb over, the, over the, the doorpost of the Passover to save those that trusted God. A hyssop branch. In Leviticus chapter 14, a hyssop branch was used for, for cleansing of, of lepers, for a, for, for a cleansing mixture to heal these lepers, to help them. In Numbers chapter 19, the branch, the hyssop branch, was used in the same way to purify those that came in contact with a dead body. To be cleansed, to be washed whiter than snow. David knew that he needed the hyssop of God. David knew that he could not clean himself of his own merit. That he needed the cleansing power of God. He can't do this on himself. He needed help. And he realized this all the way back in, 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 in Psalm chapter 51. We see that, that even in John chapter 19, that the climax of humanity, that the Son of God, God himself incarnate, was hanging on a tree and a hyssop branch was used with a sponge on the end. And Jesus drunk from that hyssop branch. And then what did he say? It was finished. That I am cleansing the world of their iniquities. Now, is this not greatest news that we've ever heard? 
All these signposts in the Old Testament, from the hyssop branch to the lamb to all these things, these broken signposts are leading to the cross. They're leading to Christ. And he's calling us to repent. It's not, I found my way to God, but it's, he's found me. Titus chapter 3, verse 5, it, it makes mention that he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we did unrighteousness, but in accordance with his mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. We need to recognize if we truly want repentance, go to the cross. This is what me and the other preacher friends of mine did. We lost our path, and, and, and we were foolish enough to go forward. But what should we have done? We should have looked back at the cross. We should have looked back where it all began. We should have looked back where it gave us hope. Hope restored. And we've lost this. I think that we've lost joy because we've lost sight of Christ. We've lost a, a, a motivational spirit because we've lost sight of the cross. We've lost love for one another because we've lost sight of the cross. If you want real repentance, go to the cross. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. If we seek to turn back to God, we need to turn back to him. And when we are justified by Christ, we took he took all of our faults and placed it upon himself. It all surrounds around Christ. Every bit of it. Every bit of our lives surrounds Christ. The third thing, to have real repentance. If you want real repentance in your life, if you want to get out of the brush and turn back to God, you, it really means to have a different view on sin. Verses 10 through 12, it says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take thy Holy Spirit, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and hold me with thy free spirit. Now, when I went to a paramedic school back in 2015, I was the EMT for Putnam County, and I think I worked a little bit in White County, too. And when I went into school, I had the idea, man, I want to go in here. I'm going to learn anatomy and physiology. I'm going to learn all these medications. I'm going to learn all this stuff. I'm going to save people's lives. I'm going to get in the back of that truck. I want to cure cancer. I want to do all these things to help people out. I'm going to be the superhero of paramedics. That was my idea. And then once I got in there and once I started getting educated and I started getting learning a little bit more here, I was thinking, man, I can kill people. I'm dangerous in the back of the truck. There's medications that I can make people stop breathing. I learned that I'm not all that cracked out to be. I learned that my mindset needed to change a little bit. Instead of healing everybody that I come in contact with and fix every ailment, I was just praying, Lord, just help me keep them alive until someone knows what they're doing comes along. That's my mindset. I'd had to change my perspective of the things in my mind. The more that I became aware of my faults, the more I realized of the reality that I'm set in. The same thing goes with sin. The more that we understand about our sinful nature, 
right here, this is where we learn it from, the more we realize of our sinful nature, the more we are aware that we need the goodness of God. The more we are aware that we need help, the more we are aware of God's mercy. The better we will see the reality around us. We begin to hate the things that God hates. We begin to love the things that God loves. We begin to have the desire for the things that God desires. Then we begin to grieve when God grieves. Paul, he says that he dies daily. And what he means by that, that his flesh, his ideas, the lenses that he looks through to the world, he dies daily. And I, I challenge and encourage you every morning that you wake up, when you put on your glasses or you put on your pants, whatever you decide, say, Lord, help me look at people and look at each other and look at the world the way that you see. I don't want to see people and see the world the way that Tanner Higgins sees because I'm faulty. Let me see the world the way that you see them. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service to worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove that the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect. To have real repentance, you need to look at things the way that God looks at them. That your view of your sin, you need to see it the way that God sees it. If you want real repentance, the things that tears him apart needs to rip you as well. That's real repentance. When's the last time that you sinned against God and you just shoved it off the side? Oh, that little white lie, or that little small sin, that's not going to hurt nobody. That hurts God. It should hurt you. How about those bigger things? I hate to say it, but we don't grieve when God grieves. That it seems like every time when we pray, when we ask God to forgive us of our sins, that's the only time that we grieve. That's the only time that it seems like it really touches us. Real repentance begins, it, 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 it continues on that we need to view sin in a different way. Bear with me. Real repentance also will give you a different motive. A different motive in verses 13 through 15. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted into thee. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud with righteous, of thine righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall shew forth thy praise. And let me ask you a question this morning, and you can answer if you want to, or you can answer in your heart. Do you love Jesus? I hope that every single one of you said yes, but let me ask you a different question. Do you really love Jesus? Do you really love Jesus? Because I would almost sadly say that your actions and your motives do not equal the things that you say. That just like Peter, when he says that I will die for you, Christ, and then what does he do just later in? He denies him. 
You say that you love Christ. You, the things and the, the, the parrot talk that comes out of your mouth. You say that you worship him this morning. You take joy that he's coming here and that he came here to die for our sins. But your actions reflect differently. We love to place people in categories a lot of times. Such as people that have value to people that have no value. We like to place people in these categories of white-collar workers to blue-collar workers. We like to place people, oh, you can sing? Get up here. You can't sing. You might as well be a pew singer. You better sit on down. Oh, man, I tell you what, those that have, you know, just beautiful faces, we need you up here. Or, or if someone, you know, you're kind of ugly, you need to kind of sit in the back. We put people in categories, do we not? Skin color or whatever it may be. We begin to easily slide down the slope of apathy. We begin to easily slide down the slope, the danger of saying that you deserve this, but you over here, you're not very valuable enough, so you don't deserve this. That's not how God works. I hate to tell you that. For all has sinned and come short of the glory of God. But the thing is, though, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Those, whoever, God can use anybody this morning. He's calling every single one of you, no matter if you're value or you're not valued, he's calling every single one of you to repentance, to come back to him, turn back and go into the presence of God. The problem is that we are thinking too much like the flesh, too much like the skin of my bones. We think too much like a Pharisee. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 and 17, it says, Wherefore, this is Paul speaking to the church of Corinth. He says, Wherefore, henceforth, know we no man after the flesh. It says, We don't know anybody after the flesh. Ye though that we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth we know him no more as flesh but spirit. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, we allow these obstacles to get in the way of telling the greatest story that's ever been told of Jesus. Sometimes we become those obstacles. Our testimony can get in the way. Our testimony of sometimes we may stand up or we give a praise. A lot of times it ends up being about me instead of the one who has redeemed me. It's become more of what I have done instead of what he has done for me. Our motive, if we want real repentance, real repentance will give us a true motive. And that motive is to give God the maximum, maximum glory that he deserves. That should be our motive. Every waking day, God, how can I serve you? God, how can you get the glory? God, what can I do to lift you up? That's what real repentance will bring in your life. Once you're beginning to see that in your actions and your motives and the things that you go day to day in your actions, that's real repentance. Lastly, this is the last thing, real repentance. Real repentance will result in a radical pursuit of God. Radical pursuit. Verses 16 on the end of the chapter. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else I would give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God. That will not despise. Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion 
Build thou walls of Jerusalem. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then shall they offer bullocks upon the altar. David saw that nothing could fix the situation at hand. He couldn't bring Uriah back to, back to, the, back to life. He couldn't fix the problem that he sinned against Bathsheba. He couldn't fix any of the things that he had done. He saw that the sacrifices, all these things that he gives to God are worthless. He sees that the works that he does, he sees the things that he can do by his hands, they are completely useless. And here at the end of the chapter, I believe that David gets to the crux of it all. The point of real repentance. If you really want true, authentic repentance this morning, and I pray that every single one of you here, I don't know your hearts, but you do, and God does, I don't. But I pray that you're here and you want to be in the presence of God and you want to pursue God on a daily life. But if you want true, authentic repentance, God doesn't want your sacrifices. God doesn't want your works. God doesn't want your tithe. God doesn't want your time. God wants your heart. That's what he wants. David saw that. David says, I come with a contrite heart, a broken heart. And that's all you want. And that's all God wants is your heart this morning. We think a lot of times that repentance is almost an occasional thing that we do. If you go back to Joshua chapter 7 and, and 8, if I believe that, that even after the great battle of Jericho, that they, this army, that, that, they, they, that the army of Israel surrounded the walls of Jericho and it came tumbling down. We've all sung the song. We know all know the story. And at the end of the day, they're praising God of the victory that they have had. Yes, God, we've seen you move in our nation. We've seen you move miraculously. And there was a man named Achan that decided to take a little idol and put it in his tent to hide to sin against God. God told them not to do that. Not to take the things of Jericho and place it in your tent. Not to take them upon yourselves. And then the next day, no one knows about it. And Joshua, and they go fight, and they lose. Well, God, where were you at? You moved in Jericho, but here in Ai, you, where are you at, God? You, we've lost. I'm speechless. And then later to find out that one in the camp has sinned against God. Now, I'll tell you one thing. It's hard to preach to your own church sometimes. But sometimes if you see a lack of moving in the church, you might want to check your tents. Because sometimes we have sin in our own lives that can distract and disorient us all. And we become losing battle for Christ because we're not working the way that God has designed us to work. But this occasional thing of repentance doesn't need to be a thing that we flippantly do because we sin. This call to repentance, it needs to be a daily, continuous act. Yes, there should be lamenting. Yes, there needs to be a cry of grieving. But this repentance action, what it is, it's turning to God. 
It's turning your eyes away from sin and the things of the flesh, the things that draw me to, to disobey God, to not listen to him. It's drawing my eyes and my full focus, my orientation, my view to the one who can redeem me. That's real repentance. As Daniel and Lauren come and prepare us a song of invitation, I encourage you this morning that I know for a fact that every single one of us struggle with something in our life that is losing our focus away from God. Real repentance needs to be a daily conversation you have with Him. It needs to be continuous. Real repentance is turning everything you've got over to God. Repentance has less to do with your emotions. It all has to do with surrender. You've got to humbly approach the throne of God. You've got to be vulnerable before God and say, God, I can't, I can't do this on my own. I'm aware of my sin guilt. I'm aware that I'm in need of a healer. I'm aware that I'm in need of a Savior. And I know I can recognize that Jesus is the only one. That's why we celebrate Christmas. To recognize that He is a Savior that came to as a humbly servant and died for me. God is, God is ready for you to turn back to Him. Even if you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, if you haven't believed and fully accepted, if you haven't made that first turn back, God is calling you. And if you've been on this trail for so long and it seems like it, it, nothing is, everything's just distracting me from the true path that God has set me on, God's calling you to turn back and say, put your focus back on me. Focus back here. That's what God is calling every single one of us to repent and turn back to God. As we sing, would you stand please?
you to leave this morning not answering that call that he has given you. And I encourage you that we're, we're going to leave here this morning and in and, and kind of a solace. I want you to think about this today. I want you to think about this tomorrow. I want you to think about this all week. And say, God, I'm turning my eyes to you every day. So as we pray, we will pray in dismissal, but think about this this week. He loves us, every single one of us, and he's calling us. So bow your heads. Heavenly Father, Lord, I'm so thankful for your grace and your mercy. I'm so thankful for the opportunity, Lord, to preach the truth, Lord, and I'm so thankful, Lord, that you've called an amazing soul like me to do so. Lord, I pray over every single heart in this, in this room this morning. I know there's troubles and trials and, and pain and suffering, and Lord, you know our hearts. You know what we go through. And the greatest pain, Lord, I pray, Lord, that it would be the sin that we have and the pain that we have caused you. So, Lord, I pray, Lord, that every single one of us would turn to you and live a life, Lord, that is honoring to you. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Y'all are dismissed. <laughs>